and welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 114. And as always, you are joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now, before we get into another Q&A episode today, we just want to remind you as always that if you do enjoy these podcasts, please feel free to tell your family and friends about them, take a screenshot and post it to your social media stories. Tag Jack, tag myself and tag the Bodybuilding Dietitians. Now, without further ado, let's get into this episode. Great. So we have a bit of a different one planned for today. Usually for the past few months, even we have been choosing like two topics or three topics and having a very extended discussion, which we love doing. And you guys seem to like it as well. At least our analytics do. And basically what we want to try today is doing something we initially did at the beginning where we run through maybe like eight to 10 questions give a less detailed explanation, less of a discussion, but just kind of answering it in in a much shorter time frame. And that way we get through more content, we get through more questions, and it might provide you guys as listeners with something a bit more fast paced, which I think is nice to mix it up and it mixes it up for us as well. Exactly, because I guess sometimes people just ask a question and they just want the answer. Yeah. They might not necessarily want a 30 minute discussion. Yeah. But that's the thing, I find that so challenging personally because even when I listen back to our podcast episodes to edit them and everything, I'm still like, God damn, I wish I mentioned that. Like, there's still more that I want to say. Mm-hmm. So, which yeah. probably I blows it a people's long time mind. Ago that I won't be. <laughs> mentioning everything to do with a question i know but sometimes it bothers me because like sometimes you're just like i want to say it all Mm. anyway let's Mm. get into this this is rapid fire (laughs) we're cutting ourselves off already so question one how long should a bulk last great so um, one thing that i'm going to avoid saying today is it depends because i feel like that's too much of an arbitrary answer Mm -hmm. for these questions Mm -hmm. but you can pretty much guarantee that Any of these questions can be answered with, it depends. But in terms of a bulk, how long should it last? I think until you reach an upper threshold of body fat, that becomes unproductive. And so I'm going to pick a specific situation. Let's say you're a bodybuilder, you're in the improvement season, and you're bulking, then potentially a bulk should end when you need to mini-cut, and a mini-cut should begin once you reach that threshold where you're too far away from your stage weight. For example, even right now, I got up to around like 94, 95 in the improvement season. I'm, I'm around like 77 and a half right now. And just imagine if I'd gone up to 100 kilos plus, like that just would have been too much weight to lose with a mini cut and a comp prep. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my answer as to how long it should last. So let's say you establish that upper threshold at a random 80 kilo number. Let's say you weigh 80, uh, 70 kilos right now. You then establish your rate of gain of around let's say one percent of your body weight per month um so then you just do the math in terms of how long that's going to take until you reach 70 to 80 kilos and then you mini cut yeah and i guess the ratio of cutting to time spent building is a one to four ratio yeah so what tiara means by that is every let's say every four months of bulking you would then implement a mini cut and then if you if you did it more frequently than that there's no defined set in stone evidence to work against that but it's just more of like a logical uh, ratio we've established that if you're cutting more frequently than one to four then it's not going to be as productive yeah good luck growing yeah (laughs) if you're spending more time in a calorie deficit than you are in a calorie surplus or at least at maintenance and building your physique Unfortunately, you're not going to have much of a physique. (laughs) Yeah. 
And I think it's important to look at the minimum time of a bulk as well. So like, for example, that kind of is the minimum I would say is, it's really tough to give a minimum, but I would say anything less than three or four months, you are kind of just spinning your wheels. If you're trying to put on, as a natural athlete, athlete trying to put on a decent amount of muscle for someone who is, is an intermediate lifter, it's going to be tough. Yeah, that's a really good point. And as well, that's why you need to spend more time in those surplus phases and actually building your physique because we have to remember on a time scale, it's a heck of a lot harder to actually build muscle mass than it is to lose body fat. That's why you can lose body fat when you knuckle down and you diet and obviously you maintain your resistance training, sleep, protein intake, all that jazz. You can be pretty darn efficient and sometimes, especially when you are starting off from a higher body fat level, then you can afford to be a bit more aggressive. Mm. And Jack, in terms of actually reaching that upper threshold where you're like, yeah, it's probably time to implement a dieting phase now. What are some signs that someone's reached that threshold? Yeah, so there's, it depends on where people are. Damn it, I just used it depends. Oh man, (laughs) you broke the golden rule of episode 114. I'm going to throw that rule away now because it's, it's, (laughs) It's too important to say it depends, as annoying as it is. But basically, other than the physical signs, like I think we can all tell when we're accumulating an excessive amount of body fat. Mm. There can be a line between making that call too early and too late, especially for people who are fairly self-conscious about body fat accumulation. But other signs that you might need to think about intro- introducing a dieting phase is your hunger is, is very poor. So you're having to force feed every meal. And by force feed, I really mean like there's uh, there's some, there's some a lump at the back of your throat as if you're going to gag at the end of each meal. Like that's not good. And you're also at that point where you're implementing strategies like you're consuming more energy-dense sources of food. Yeah, yeah. And you, you actually try to incorporate some strategies to consume more food. And other things could be it's just uh, impacting your sleep, could be impacting your cardiovascular fitness as well. And could be impacting your training you could be really struggling to recover there's there's a bunch of things like that but i would say for most people it more so comes down to their current body composition and what kind of goals they have like if they're a non-competitor do they want to push body weight as high or not as high like it it, there's a bunch of different things to consider. Yeah, and that's why it really pays off to actually have a coach or have yeah. someone in your corner or get a second opinion because most certainly, especially for females, once you start putting on a little bit of weight, heck yeah, sometimes it feels uncomfortable, but then you need someone's second opinion and being like, no, you actually look really good. You're looking a heck of a lot stronger. Look at your training performance. You're getting stronger across every single lift. Things are going really well and you've only gained half a kilogram. (laughs) Yeah, I think just finishing up on that point, which I completely agree with, some people will have a bad day in the mirror or they'll wake up feeling uncomfortable in their skin and then they'll automatically associate that with the 0.2 kilos that they've gained in the last month. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, trust me, it's not the 0.2 kilos, which might even be a calculation error on the scales. Like yeah. don't associate that sort of weight gain with, with how you're feeling. 
But this is also a reason why people should take it more progressively rather than being really aggressive with their weight gain. Because yeah. if someone's just like, heck yeah, man, let's build, and they start eating an extra 2,000 calories above their maintenance every single day, yeah, you're gonna start to pack on the weight really quickly and you're gonna start to feel uncomfortable really quickly. Mm -hmm. So after three or four weeks, you're almost tempted to diet because you don't feel good in your own body. That's why take it slow. You only need to be in a surplus of probably anywhere to be between like 150 to maybe 500 calories per day, depending on who you are above your maintenance to just build and aiming for around like maybe one kilogram of weight gain a month is mm. a pretty well, good I, number. I, yeah. Well, I go off percentages. So anywhere from half a percent to 1.5% mm. per month. That would be good. But obviously all of these things are correlated guys. So if your body fat is at an unproductive level where you just feel really uncomfortable in your own body, you, you've also gotten someone's second opinion who you trust who says, yeah, you can probably afford to do a dieting phase. You've really had a successful building phase here. If your appetite has diminished, not just for a day or a few days, we're talking about like weeks on end of this yeah. accumulating. And also just your training isn't progressing. Perhaps you've gained one or two kilograms, but you've actually plateaued in a lot of your lifts. And you're like, man, I'm still pressing the exact same as I was two kilograms ago. What's up with this? Your sleep is off. Perhaps you got some blood work done and your blood triglycerides are really high and your blood glucose levels are really high. Every time you go for a walk, you feel like your heart's gonna beat out of your chest and you don't have very good cardiovascular fitness. All of these things combined, it might be time to implement a diet and put this bulk on hold. Hey guys, just a reminder that we post regular content on our Instagram and YouTube channel. You can find those platforms by searching The Bodybuilding Dietitians. See you there. Great, what's the next question? Awesome, okay, so next one. This one says, why do you keep your fats so low? <laughs> so we just talked about gaining body fat. Now we're talking about restricting dietary fat. Very cool. So <laughs> I guess this is a very subjective question. Mm -hmm. So what is so low? And it depends on the individual who you ask. Like you might tell your fats to someone and that might be higher than what they're eating. So yeah, we don't just pull a number out of a hat in terms of how much dietary fat we eat. It's all, we try to make it as evidence-based as possible and, and suit our current theme of what we're doing. So the reason our fats might be lower than, than what other people might be used to is purely because we're in a competition preparation phase. We need to restrict our calories. And at the moment, we would rather restrict our dietary fat uh, to, a, to the maximum extent or close to the maximum extent that is still healthy compared to restricting carbohydrates and protein. And the other reason as well is that because our carbohydrates are very low or low in comparison to our improvement season phase, we aren't getting much trace fats through our carbohydrate sources or even really through our protein sources as well. So that means we can redirect a lot of our fat sources purely for our fat intake. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is like in the improvement season, I might have 200 grams of raw weight, uh, wholemeal penne pasta. That's like close to 10 grams of fat, I think. Or what if you had 200 grams of oats? That would be closer yeah. to 20 grams of fat. Yeah, so examples like that. Now I might only have 75 grams of oats and therefore there's a lot less fat coming from those oats to swell up my usual fat intake. Yeah, so ultimately when you are in a dieting phase, every macronutrient is gonna be kind of low, man. Yeah, you keep protein intake high relative to your body weight, but ultimately you're in an energy deficit. Yeah. 
And kind of the numbers that we go off, we try not to go below half a gram per kilo of body weight of dietary fat, because that's kind of that cutoff mark where potentially there might be some undesirable side effects, but we're still above that. So I'm weighing about 77 kilos right now, but my dietary fat is still 50 grams. So that's well over that half a kilo mark. Mm-hmm. Your yeah, I'm 57 kilograms right now, and my fat intake is at 35 grams per day. And that's like 0.6 grams per kilogram of body weight. Yeah, so you're in a great spot. Yeah. I think, I think often people are used to consuming a fairly significant amount of dietary fat when we don't necessarily need to. Sure, it, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you could redirect more to carbohydrate, we know that carbohydrate is the main fuel source for resistance training. So I don't know if you have a preference for more fat, go for more fat. But if you don't really mind either way, then there potentially is an added benefit for prioritizing carbohydrates. Yeah. Ultimately, when you're in an energy deficit, try to not go below that 0.5 grams per kilogram of body weight per day. If you don't have to, sometimes people get themselves into situations where they're really digging and sometimes you got to do what you got to do. But then when you're in your improvement season phase or just a maintenance phase, whatever it may be, having your fats around that one gram per kilogram of body weight mark is pretty sweet. Obviously you can go above that if you just like to consume more of your calories from fats. And especially once calories start getting really high, then obviously you can take your fats well above that so that you just have more palatable foods. Yeah. Like if you're an 80 kilogram dude, but you're consuming 5,000 calories a day and trying to stay at 80 grams of fat per day or sub that, you're going to get so much of that from trace sources. Mm. And yeah, I've been in that position before. Exactly. It does get tough. And there's, yeah, there's just something nice about having a bit more fat in your diet and like having more cheese, more peanut butter, more nuts, Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. But ultimately we are always going to be big advocates for carbohydrates. Cause like you said, they're the main fuel source for our training and also carbohydrates per gram are only four calories. Fats per gram are nine calories. So one, when you're in a dieting phase, you can basically have double the amount of food volume. You can have a heck of a lot more food volume if you're eating more carbohydrates compared to dietary fats. Yeah. In terms Even of energy wise, it's energy double. wise, double. absolutely. But yeah, if you are rather getting a lot of your calories from like fruits and vegetables and whole grains rather than things like tablespoons of olive oil and peanut butter and avocado, I think you're going to be a heck of a lot more satiated throughout yeah. the day too. And more fiber intake as well. Cool. And finally, I know I'm coming up on time with this rapid fire thing, but I think one of the things is that people get really concerned about bringing fats down on the lower end because they're like, oh God, it's going to influence my hormones if I drop my fats below 40 grams per day. But you have to understand that when you are in a chronic energy deficit, for example, a male undergoing a six month comp prep, his hormone profile isn't going to be directly related to his fatty acid intake. It's more a reflection of his total energy availability and the total amount of calories that he's consuming across a chronic time span. So even if you were going through a prep and you're like, no man, I'm going to save my testosterone and I'm going to keep my fats really high. Unfortunately, they've actually done studies where they've tried to do that. And the actual difference on total testosterone levels isn't actually that significant because you're still in a great energy deficit and you still have low energy availability. So as long as you don't go stupidly low with your fatty acid intake so that- Well, that's why we quote that half a a gram per kilo of Mm. body weight. 
Yeah, because that still allows you to have enough fat in your meals so you can absorb fat-soluble vitamins, consume essential fatty acids like omega-3s, but ultimately, I don't think that actual fat intake alone is directly going to influence your hormones if you're in a chronic energy deficit. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, next question. This one says, do you work off macronutrient intake or calorie intake when you make a meal plan? So I just exclusively use macros because one, it's easier, two, it's, well, not necessarily easier, but it's it's so easy that like if I had to choose one, I would just go with macros. Like there's no reason not to use macros. And I don't see a, a reasonable argument to just use calories mm-hmm. because if it's a meal plan, then they're going to be following it hopefully to a T and consistently regardless. So you might as well put the extra effort in, create it with macros, and then you can therefore have be confident that they're hitting a certain ratio of protein, carbohydrates, and fats. Mm-hmm. But when you're making a meal plan, obviously, you know both numbers. Yeah. Like you would start off with knowing what their total calories are. Mm. And depending on whether they want to build, they want to maintain, they want to cut, you would know that number. And then you would work out the macronutrients from that number. Yeah. And even though total energy intake is king, yeah obviously macronutrient ratios and distribution throughout the day matter a heck of a lot too. Like what if you had a calorie meal plan and it was 400 grams of carbohydrates, no fat and protein. They were Mm -hmm. just drinking dextrose. That would be an example of a poor meal plan (laughs) of just following calories. So that's why if I have the opportunity and I've never not had the opportunity, I'll, I'll use macros just because it's it's more appropriate Mm -hmm. and sometimes i'm not gonna lie sometimes i don't even think in calories i actually just think in macros i agree especially with my fitness power because we know that my fitness power just does funky things to the calories so i i've and i share this with all my clients i just basically say when we use my fitness power we prioritize macros and Mm -hmm. we look at calories from the macros we've established but not because my fitness power will just spit out some calories that are slightly incorrect due to the entries that people log. Yeah, and the thing is, you and I are so accustomed to that too. We'll ask each other the question like, what are your macros or how many carbs are you on? You'll say the number. Yeah. You'll be like, oh, you know, 160 protein, 225 carb, 35 fat. But you don't even think about the actual calories. Sometimes you have to ask, like sometimes I've asked you this prep. I'm like, so how many calories is that? Just out of curiosity. You're like, I'm going to have to look it up. Yeah, I I honestly don't know. I just, I really just think in terms of macros. And that actually brings me onto the thought where like when someone learns a second language, do you ever think like, do they think in English or do they speak? Uh, think in French? Now we think in macros, I guess. <laughs> yes, we do. When do we dream in macros, though? <laughs> I think at this stage of prep. Yeah, yes. we're pretty food focused. Not gonna lie. But yeah, guys, if someone gives you like a two thousand calorie meal plan, but they haven't even listed the macronutrients on there, be a little bit wary of that, and mm. please do not pay two hundred dollars for it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. We'll move on to the next one. Hey guys, just a reminder that we don't just coach physique athletes, but we do coach anyone with a health and fitness related goal. Therefore, if you are interested in getting in touch with us regarding our coaching services, you can always head over to our website at www.thebodybuildingdietitians.com or alternatively, click the link in the show notes below. So this next one is a two-part question. So the first part says, what are the best and worst parts of uni and what did you guys do after graduating did you start tbd straight away 
Great. So for those that don't know, we did a three-year undergraduate Bachelor of Exercise and Nutrition Sciences, and then we did a 1.5-year Master's of Dietetics. And so best plus worst parts, probably the worst part would be in the undergraduate and to be fair, the Masters of Dietetics, having to learn or study things that I wasn't remotely interested in whatsoever. Uh, like especially some part components of the masters, like I had to, we had to do food service where we basically had to go to the hospital kitchen and learn about food sanitization and how they, what trolley they use to deliver food to patients and, <laughs> and stuff like that, which as you, for some dietitians, it's an incredibly important skill because that's how you keep food uh, sanitary and hygienic and prevent the spread of, of disease and stuff. But for us, being bodybuilders, like, as you can imagine, we were kind of just like following along and, and just doing the minimum required to, to get that course done. You're like, I really don't care what model dishwasher they use to wash the trays. Yeah, it was a bit ridiculous, but I'm glad that's over. Oh, like, what, what was your worst part, would you say? Oh, I, this is actually a hard question to answer because, man, I love uni. I'm a big mm. fan. Uni was honestly awesome. Some of the best years of my life. But well, I'd maybe say... Maybe it's the same thing as me then. Nah, no, nah, I'd definitely say for the Masters of Dietetics, the least, the least enjoyable part for me was definitely just the hospital placement component. Mm-hmm. That was really tough. I just, I really didn't enjoy that and couldn't, couldn't agree more. Like the Bachelor of Nutrition Exercise Science, that was epic, man. Yeah, that, that was, was so cool. And that's where we probably learned 95% of everything that we know. Like yeah. all those fundamentals, mm. the really cool stuff. The critical thinking, uh, yeah. And the knowledge to apply critical thinking came from the undergraduate mm. and then the more practical critical thinking came from the masters, I would say. Yeah, so definitely bachelor is where it's at. (laughs) Uh, But I guess other parts that kind of stunk were, I just really didn't like those chemistry courses where the lectures did not line (laughs) up with the prax at all. It It was absolutely whack. Like they were on completely opposite ends of the spectrum. For example, you could be in a lecture and you would be learning about biochemistry and you'd be like, okay, cool. And then you would go to a prac and it's like they're teaching you math C. It's like completely different. And they just expect you to know what's going on. And they hand you this super thick printed prac book that you've got to fill out with all these chemistry things. And I was completely lost. That mm. really freaking frustrated me. Cause yeah. I'm like, we weren't taught this, but then somehow some people still knew what was going on. <laughs> some people are just good at chemistry and math. And I would always try and tee up with someone who who knew their stuff you and i both did because yeah. we were so lost we're just like god is this three hour prac over yet i want to go to the gym yeah if i had an achilles heel it would be chemistry mm-hmm. yeah. yeah those that was really tough and also when like there'd be 300 to 400 people actually studying our bachelor degree and we would be doing these really hardcore subjects and the majority of all the people are enrolled in that subject i'm talking about like biochemistry and anatomy and whoever designs the end of semester exams would put both of those massive exams on the exact same day and you'd have one in the morning at 8 a.m and then one at night at 5 p.m and it's like why would you do this to 400 people could you not at least put it on the day after you seem to have more negative things than me to say. Oh, no, well, no, I don't know. Like, these things are, I loved uni, but they were just <laughs> these it, little, there were these little, there were these little things. There's probably a few more, but no, I, 
I loved it. So okay. what, what did you love about it? So there were probably a handful of courses mainly related to nutrition, a few exercise related ones where it, you just have those light bulb moments for the whole course where it's like you learn about carbohydrate metabolism, you begin to understand the energy pathways like or the conversion of glucose to glycogen and how that actually happens. And there was probably two, I think it was nutrition... The, well, the lecture was take, taken by a lecturer called Veronique, who was really, really excellent. And it was basically like advanced nutritional sciences. Nutrition 3201. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. And that kind of just went into new d- in depth about nutrition science. And you could just, after doing that course, you could just apply so many principles about nutrition to basically everything. And that kind of, I think, took us on to another level in terms of what we know and what we can apply nutrition too so like rather than thinking in 2d we could think about nutrition in 3d mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it really did give us that whole sphere of understanding what's yeah. truly going on and what i've actually thought in the past is that you know someone could actually work out the timetable for all these lectures and you don't actually know if someone's enrolled in a course or not you don't actually know if someone's enrolled at university you can just walk onto the campus and you can just rock up to any lecture you want yeah. so literally people could actually learn the content for free you couldn't actually go to the prax yeah but a lot of courses don't even have prax they just have lectures mm. so like if you're interested in something you could probably work out a timetable and just go learn for free yeah and or yeah just have a mate who's doing the same thing and split it halfway and like at the end you wouldn't you technically wouldn't get the certificate but the thing on social media these days is that you can call yourself a dietitian people won't know (laughs) like whether whether you're a dietitian or not but I mean we've got our graduation certificates in our in our bedroom or study or whatever it is I guess if there's like a bro at the gym who's like trying to convince you that keto is the one and only way to go you'd be like hey man come to my Tuesday nutrition lecture we're actually learning about carbohydrate metabolism and carbohydrates for performance come it's free see if it can convince you otherwise yeah that's a very good point (laughs) but what's your most enjoyed aspect of uni oh boy I loved so many things but without a doubt the content the content was just incredible learning about exactly what I was interested in in Mm. terms of nutrition and also exercise some of my favorite courses were the exercise physiology courses and advanced ex-phys courses and actually doing the prax like actually taking athletes through lactate threshold tests and ECG tests and VO2 max tests getting to actually engage in those things ourselves I remember when I did a VO2 max test myself and my legs were just like jelly but just learning, learning so much. It was just so freaking cool. So most definitely the content, but just uni life, just the independence of, you know, it's, it's really up to you. And a week. Oh, no, we didn't. We pub weren't, crawls. We're, pub crawls were really fun. And obviously living in a share house with other uni students near the uni. And yeah, you definitely had more of a uni experience than me. I, I still lived at home throughout yeah, uni. So. It was the best. Man, if you go to uni, seriously, live in a share house near the campus and go to pub crawls and go to your lectures and study hard for your exams. But I just had a blast. I feel like I, take, I took full advantage of mm. it. Like being able to bike to the uni every day or walk or run along the river. Yeah. And Tiara literally lived like a, a five, no, less than a, like a two minute walk from uni. Yeah. Literally on the, on the street next to, that goes to the uni. <laughs> Between <laughs> lectures, we would always just walk back to mine for yeah. lunch. It was so good. Or even like to make an iced coffee. It was yeah. the best. Or like you could, I could go swimming between lectures. Obviously 
we worked out at UQ Sport for our entire time mm. that we were at university. But I was at UQ Sport from 2012 to 2019, mm. seven years. You were there much longer than me. But actually having a job at UQ Sport too, uni yeah. was my hub, man. I could study there. I could train there. I could work there. All my friends were there. I could swim there. Uni was the best. UQ, it's like its own little world. I love that place. So remind people what the second half of the question was. Oh, okay. So this question says, did you start TBD straight away? And what did you do after graduating? Great. So we never actually had a transition period because we started TBD midway through our masters. Mm -hmm. So we started our masters at the beginning of 2018 and we started the TBD podcast, which is basically the start of, I would see that as the start of TBD basically. And that was at the very end of 2018, December. Yeah. And we didn't graduate till midway through 2019. So basically we ended uni and went straight into coaching clients. Fortunately, we had a somewhat of a decent foundation. Like the start of a business is always rocky. Like we weren't, we weren't earning a full income by any means as I'm sure everyone would understand. But to be fair, we were still working at UQ Sport and still yeah. studying full-time as dietitians. Yeah, so I wouldn't have wanted a full client roster then, that's for sure. And it's a very natural progression since then. Like you can even scroll to the bottom of our Instagram and you can see how our content has evolved <laughs> and don't listen back to any of the first episodes. That's just a bit cringeworthy, but appreciate all the listeners who have been here since the beginning. <laughs> I know it's so nice if you have been here since the beginning, but sometimes people might listen to like an episode in the hundreds and they're like, I'm going to go right back to the start. And I'm yeah. like, I don't know. I <laughs> I'm almost even nervous to go back and listen to some of our first episodes. They weren't bad, I don't yeah. think, but... They, they were very... We answered them as diet, as uni students. So, yeah. like, they were very... They, we felt we had to flesh out everything and answer it in a lot of depth and, mm -hmm. like, kind of show off in terms of what we knew. Yeah, my but. hands... <laughs> both my hands are up right here. But it's... I'm still trying to get over that. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I think now we do much more of a discussion-based approach, which mm -hmm. I personally prefer. And I think, we're, again, looking at our analytics, everyone else prefers it. So. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it, it was tough back then because, of course, you get asked these questions. Is a ketogenic diet or a high carbohydrate diet better for performance? You're like, oh, I learned about this in my yeah. sports nutrition subject mm. and I just wrote an essay on it. Let's record a 50 minute podcast on this one topic. Yeah. Tierra would write her essay and read it out and oh. she would go through the pathways and then Seriously. I would just say, yep. <laughs> yeah, but I'm a total nerd at heart and I, I hope some people love that stuff. But obviously yeah. if you truly love it, go to uni and study what we studied. <laughs> mm, definitely. But I think as we were going through uni, we were really figuring out, okay, what do we really want to do with our careers? What do we really love? What are we passionate about? At that point, obviously we'd already been studying for four years and we were training together basically almost every single day. We had a first competition under our belts and we're like, man, we really love this bodybuilding thing, but we also notice that there just lacks such an evidence base in bodybuilding. Unfortunately, a lot of coaches out there, they are misinformed and there isn't a lot of really nutrition science-based and exercise science-based information mm. being put out there, especially into, into competition preps. Well, yeah, even from a advertisement or uniqueness or niche standpoint, 
you don't, there's no one else called the bodybuilding dietitian. So mm-hmm. it was quite easy to slip into and, and fill that gap nicely. Yeah. And what's cool is that we had this idea actually going through dietetics in our very first year. And sometimes when you have an idea, guys, you just, you just need to start and you just need yeah. to go for it. We're just like, we should start a podcast because mm-hmm. that was in 2018. That's when you and I actually started listening to a lot of podcasts, like yeah. Revive Stronger and different ones. And we're like, this is really cool. I think we could do this we could share good quality information because the more podcasts that we were listening to were more like they don't really know what they're talking about (laughs) (laughs) but we know what we're talking about i think a lot of people would really appreciate knowing the truth when it comes to these things so we just went for it we started this podcast in december 2018 and just rolled with it and look at how it grows and look if you're consistent with something it's been almost two and a half years now and look how much this podcast has grown just from releasing one to two episodes every single week yeah it's amazing how it's evolved and the biggest thing is just being consistent and putting out as long as it's not really crappy content Mm -hmm. consistency is really really important yeah consistency and then authenticity as well for sure yeah but guys if you're passionate about something and you want to specialize in a niche just freaking go for it and believe in yourself because i remember when i was going through dietetics especially in the hospital and you'd be walking around the ward with your preceptor and they would ask you like so what do you want to do once you graduate I would always say, I want to be a bodybuilding dietitian. And the girl next to me was like, I want to be an oncologist dietitian. And then the dietitian preceptor would look at me and kind of like put her nose up to me and go, oh, like, (laughs) yeah, okay. Like whatever that means. And I'm like, you just wait, (laughs) you just wait and see me and look at me now. (laughs) But I'm just the kind of person who, if I'm passionate about something and I love something, I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm going to excel in that. And if someone asks me the question, who do you want to be and what do you want to do? I'm going to answer that very honestly and with a lot of excitement. And if they look down on me, that's their problem, not mine. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I I was the same. Like I was just always upfront with what I wanted to do as well. And I didn't care what other people thought. And it was, if anything, I kind of got a kind of satisfaction from seeing people's reaction. And like, I I resonate with what you said in terms of like, look at, look at us now. Like we've managed to make this work really successfully. Yeah. Cause if you want to do something and you believe in yourself, which you should believe in yourself, just freaking go for it. Yeah. And look, we guaranteed ourselves jobs and careers and we found a niche and We're doing exactly what we want to do. And we didn't have to go through that process of writing any resumes or being under stress and thinking like, oh God, am I going to get a job? I'm in competition with all these other people. You just create it for yourself and you can do it. Obviously, if you believe in yourself, you're passionate about something and you're of course willing to put in the work. Mm, That third part is important. Mm -hmm. Two and a half years later of consistency, baby. And we're just getting started. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that's a very positive and good point to wrap up on for Mm -hmm. this episode. So as per usual, we'll finish with something that we've learned this week. So something that I learned this week is that if you go to apply self-tanner and it's green, (laughs) stop. (laughs) Don't keep applying it and get into the shower ASAP. We told this story on our previous podcast in the road to 2021, but essentially this past week we were getting ready for a photo shoot due to COVID, our 
tanning appointment got canceled. So we bought some self tanner off a friend, but unfortunately it was expired and it must've been oxidized because Jack went to pat this self tanner on me and I literally turned into the Grinch yeah, or the Hulk. Was... I was green, man. And this is the first time we'd ever done it. And we're like, is it supposed to be green? <laughs> we actually didn't know if it was like supposed to go from green to brown. Either way, uh, we Googled that shiz and turns out your self-tanner, it's not meant to be green when you apply it. Believe it or not, it's actually meant to be brown because that's the color of tan. So that's what I learned this week. And if you do turn green, get in the shower straight away. <laughs> yeah. It was something out of a nightmare, wasn't it? Oh man. But at least we have a story to tell. <laughs> yeah. So Jack, what did you learn this week? So I learned that uh, baked oats uh, is a good way of reheating up your oats. And uh, because we still only have one microwave, we, we need to get a second one, uh, especially in prep. But sometimes when Tierra is using the microwave and I want to reheat my oats, uh, obviously I can't. So I tried using the oven basically, and it basically creates a different texture and it creates a nice, what's the word, like firm surface on the top. Because I always put yogurt on the top of my oats, so it creates the perfect firm texture on top as well so crispy whatever i can't think of that exact phrase to use mm. do you know what i mean yeah what well, crusty crusty that's it yeah. yeah that crust on top like the crab yeah but not actually like crab oats <laughs> that would be very savory my friend yeah crab cake oats but yeah because i make overnight oats i just chuck them out of the fridge put them in the oven and yeah it creates that nice crust on top put some yogurt on top put some strawberries on top and Bob's your uncle. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to check out our le electricity bill next month. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the one downside. But so. actually, it might be a trade-off because it's getting colder now, so we've stopped using the air conditioning. So maybe those few dollars can now go toward the oven. Mm. Plus, it's only for 10 minutes, so... Yeah, we'll see. It's worth <laughs> it for the oats. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm excited to try it once we uh, exit this comp prep. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. If you did enjoy it, please remember to take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag myself, tag Jack, tag the Bodybuilding Dietitians, and we'll catch you next week.